The Comedy Channel. Funny. Free. You are listening to the Constant Comedy Podcast with Art Bell and Vinny Favalli. Welcome to the Constant Comedy Podcast. I'm Vinny Favalli. And I'm Art Bell. And we're back. I can't believe this. Four weeks. I know, amazing. And, yeah. And uh, four weeks with a continuation from week number three. We interviewed Mitch Semmel and we actually continued because there was so much there. We could probably do a third one somewhere in the next season. Mitch is is an incredible executive. Lots of great stories he's told and there's more stuff coming up. Art, what did you think of that? Yeah, listen, it makes perfect sense that we're doing a lot with Mitch, partly because, you know, the three of us worked together at Comedy Channel, sorry, Comedy Central for a long time. And not only that, but he stole you away from Comedy Central to go work at CBS. Right. We didn't. Yeah. You know what? Actually, we touched upon it in the interview, but you're, you're right. And I actually, it was very touching the way you, you wrote it in the book. You, we, you and I were kind of like the last man standing. I know. You, you were my last best friend at the channel. Oh, I remember I uh, during a low moment, and there were many, but you had some advice for me. I, I had lost my whole department they were now reporting to someone else and they were trying to figure out what to do with me a lot of our colleagues were fired and you and i were i guess we were lucky to have survived the purge but they weren't quite sure what to do with us so we went to a a crazy new thing called the internet i know and uh, we wrote a book together remember We thought the internet was the funniest place on earth when we got there. We did. And, and we, I like how we tapped into something we both grew up with, the Mad Magazine, you know, movies we'd like to see. You know, the, Mad Magazine would reimagine things in their, through their own lens. And we co-opted that to web, websites we'd like to see. Websites that we'd like to see. Exactly. And, you know, Mad Magazine is... I always think the beginning and end of comedy in America. I mean, it was started in the fifties. It was a, it just closed down a few years ago, which was a sad day, but man, what an organization, what they pumped out so much great satire and great comedy over the years. So many great writers and cartoonists. And what was great about us being inspired by that, we were creating fit, you know, the internet was so new and almost like ridiculous. Like we were imagining what it would be like if a Martha Stewart had a website, which right now is the most common thing. But at the time, it just seemed so sci-fi, right? Who was going to have a website? Yeah, right. You'd it have to be like crazy every, that everybody would have their own website that people. And, and then what would it look like? Yeah, exactly. And we had so much fun with that. We you know, did. I think the book's still available, actually. I'm not, not going to pitch it's it's it so on, much. <laughs> it's on Amazon. We wrote it with, I should add, uh, Dave Cullen, Dr. Dave Cullen. The book is, it, you know, it kept us busy. But I remember we were working like crazy hours to get it done. Computers were really slow back then. Remember, they would crash and we would lose like maybe a day's worth of work because it was all very intensive Photoshopping, you know, images and jokes and whatever. And we were kind of creating these fake websites. I know. I know. It was a lot of work. But I remember being really dejected one day, and, 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 and it was great. You said, look, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a marathon. You know, our careers are marathons. 
They're not sprints. It's in the long run, it's going to be great. And you were 100% right. It didn't seem that way at the time. I think we may have even hugged. Oh Maybe. my gosh. Flesh yeah. to flesh. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was just an appropriate <laughs> guy, a bro hug. <laughs> I think I, it was an I love you, man, in there. Yeah, no, it was really sad to see you go. But, you know, just to get back to the main point, it was Mitch who gave you that job out of Comedy Central. He did. He did. I learned so much from him. He gave me the job that he tried to talk me out of the minute I got it, which was so sweet of him because it was working with for with David Letterman. And, but it look, it defined my career. I, I was there for 23 years. So it was incredible. Right. And the point is, you, you were there for 23 years. Mitch was there for a long time. You worked with him there. You worked with him in comedy. And, you know, so I started to say it's appropriate that we're doing a couple of shows. With and I'm me. working with you now on this Constant Comedy Podcast. Let's get to it. Part two of our interview with Mitch Semmel. We're back with Mitch. Thanks for hanging around. I knew this was going to be quite the long podcast that we were going to need to. And thank you for, for coming back and continuing this amazing career uh, that we're going over. We last spoke about Comedy Central, but I, I, I need to get back to, to PBS, which in some ways for a Princeton graduate. Okay. Yeah, PBS. That, that, that was, you're right. Ben, that was in some ways more logical. When I was, when I started in radio, I was working for a nonprofit. So coming so doing something on the nonprofit side of broadcasting made sense. Um, and PBS, I loved, I'd had some contacts serving on an advisory board. I got invited to come back to Washington. Eventually they were, they were creating this new structure and they wanted a new head of national programming and, uh, my wife and I didn't have kids yet. It was the right time to move. We were getting a little disenchanted with LA anyway, thought it would be an adventure. And PBS, if you guys remember, again, Fox had launched, cable was growing, but PBS, because cable especially was getting so specialized, including Comedy Channel already at the time and half, <clears throat> um, PBS was the last place that kind of tried to be everything. You know, other than live sports, PBS stations or the network did everything, live news, documentaries, kids programs, Science programs, you know, history programs, it's a, a, you know, period drama. They gave us uh, Monty Python. I mean, you forget exactly. that, but exactly. like, it came right? from them. Right. So if like us, you had grown up in an era of a network was supposed to be everything, speaking to everybody at some point, that was pretty enticing, right? And so uh, when I get there, one of the exciting things was um, the, though, uh, uh, um, you know, Nick Jr. and others were making inroads. PBS was still the big player in kids programs. Um, but, you know, Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street and others had been on for years. And we got some money from some of the federal funding agencies for a big new initiative for a, what hopefully would be a big new kids series. Um, and we and not, it was a good preparation for having no money at Comedy Central because we carefully parsed out the money among this little um, oh, among a, a very well-known uh, uh, children's program figure who was coming back with a new series, Sherry Lewis. We had her new, do a new uh, Sock puppet. Lamb Chops play-along show. There you go. There you go. Um, we had, I think it was Thomas the Tank Engine was the second one that we were importing from Britain. And then we had this wild card home video distributor out of Dallas. Um, evangelical owners and fervid family distribution base making this insane show called Barney about this big purple dinosaur, right? 
And we're very clear with all the stations. Hey, guys, we're really glad we're teeing up. A pilot then was like the first season of 13 episodes each. So somehow we scrapped and saved the money for each of those. Put them all up. We're very clear of the stations. Hey, going forward, we can only fund one of these three, right? And among all of us at the network and the stations, it's obvious. The really good one is the Sherry Lewis show, right? No surprise. Super professional, you know, years of knowing how to speak engagingly to kids. Uh, but trouble's are brewing because kids love this Barney show, which, again, I can't do it justice to describe to today's audience how much most parents hated that show. Because oh, my God, my son was of the age. John, Jonathan there was of so that you, age. Yeah. Devin, I'm sure you and Re Debbie were ready to kill yourselves, right? We had all it's the like tapes, the, the merchandise. Yeah. It was yeah, one of yeah. the most widely mocked television shows yes. in the comedy business. Yes. I remember. Absolutely. I, I used to do a great Barney. I don't think I could do it anymore. And Vin Cut this out. <laughs> Is that it's pretty good? That's pretty good. Pretty, yeah. yeah, I yeah. used to do that. Uh, uh, what was yeah. the sidekick? Yeah. Um, th there was a spinoff, the the little dinosaur Betty, not Betty Boop, but there was a small dinosaur that was part Definitely of it. Believe in that one, I put out of my mind. I have oh a re good recall on most most of my shows was, that I've been connected with. I I, I just <laughs> want to say it was. Yes, it may have been a fascinating show to kids, and it was well considered in terms of educational somehow, but. It was unwatchable by the parents. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like it. uh, with our younger kids. Uh, this was after your kids were older, but uh, Teletubbies became the next ah, thing, right? Yeah, that just was unfathomable to parents, but but uh, fascinating for kids. Anyway, we tried to kill the other two and say, "Look, clearly Sherry Lewis is the one to go forward with." And the stations kept saying, "Yeah, we hate it too." But I got to tell you, these letters we're getting from parents about how their wow. kids can't do without. We we wound up having to steal money from like the documentary and news budgets to uh, fund all three of the shows so we could go forward. So if there was an absence in the early '90s of PBS news coverage on important national and international <laughs> events, that's why it was Barty's fault. On. So you yeah, exactly. Went so to go so this is now a really incredible one i think because i know you look you're one of my closest friends and but but we've never really sat down and had this deep a conversation and when you look at yeah. it like this the fact that you went from barney to comedy central is amazing was crazy was crazy and and i i may have told you guys at the time it only came about it actually came about because of tom preston well, I hope you guys are going to sure. talk to for this show, right? Um, because at some point, going back to when I was still at Uber, so late 80s in LA, I forget who it was, connected Tom and me, and he was doing one of the early, what turned out to be many rebrands of VH1. And he talked to me about coming on to help with VH1. And then I think it was also this, this just conceived of as yet ill-formed how the TV comedy network idea. Right. Um, but didn't work out, stayed happily at Ubu, occasionally was in touch with Tom, but not much. And then and you guys know, you know, this much better after the all out war happens that art you detail so well in the book after the peace truce. The war right? between MTV and HBO, the two different parent companies. Yeah, right. And the, the merger the merger of the two networks. Exactly. Over the competing comedy networks. You know, there's only room for one of us in this town, right? Um, the uh, uh, one of the terms, as I recall, was, um, okay, to make peace in the valley for each of the department areas, you got to go get somebody outside. Because in most of these things, we can't just pick one or force people to work together, right? 
I guess are kind of the way you had with Mike, right? Um, right, right. The, the original, right. Originally after the merger, they teamed Mike and me as right. the co-heads of programming. And right. we were trying, we were supposed to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. It's Mike, like you guys. Great guy, Mike, yeah, yeah. but it was hard. It was a different right. culture. Right, hard, hard by definition, right? So Tom, I think it was said, oh, wait a minute, there was this guy, Mitch, I talked to a couple of years ago. He didn't come with me, you know, so he has no ba baggage and thus led to all of us being together. Well, now, now, I find that very interesting because it was very important at the time, even though they were outsiders, who they came via. Like Bob Creek was was really part of the HBO DNA. Correct. He was an executive. Correct. So it's interesting right. Art, to hear him say this kind of like a Freston guy coming in under yes. Creek, who was a Fuchs guy. When you yeah. think right. about it. Right. And I'm sure there was way more horse trading of that nature than any of us could have realized. Yeah, there was. There was. Um, and Bob Creek, who was the first president of, of Comedy Central after the merger, Vinny, you're a little bit off because, and, and not that much off, Frank Biondi, who had been Michael's co-chairman at HBO, All right, went to Viacom. So yeah. the reason Bob Creek <laughs> was the perfect first president was because he was right in the middle. He knew Bob. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he knew, he knew uh, Michael Frank. Fuchs. He yeah. knew Frank Biondi, right. and they said, "Okay, right. let's put him in." We both know him. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And you know, come to think of it, probably what may have helped me a little bit on the HBO side was that Nancy knew me. Nancy yeah. Geller knew me from oh, right. uh, See, NBC. This is amazing. You guys are all yeah. circling paths. So, so at Comedy Central, you had an incredible run. I'm noticing that it's interesting. You must have this. Uh, um, wanderlust, you know, two years, and then you move on to even greater things. Well, hey, Ben, you're you're being you're being kind because you're right. Most of the time, hold on. What's greater? There is nothing greater, nothing greater than Comedy Central. Please, this is the point. Well, most, <laughs> most of the time, Ben, you're right. It's it's that some, whatever reason I get antsy. I, I do love launching things, and certainly I've made right. a career of that. And sometimes it's explicitly, hey, Mitch, can you just do this for a year? And then, you know, I'm ready to move on. They're ready to move on. But that was it. In the case of comedy, uh, um, very much like The Odd Couple, I was asked to leave. Well, yeah, we all were. I, guess. I, think, <laughs> I think everybody who worked at the channel who were having on was asked to leave. And when we say asked, it's really fired. <laughs> I, I feel collectively we're go. Comedy Central's first husband. You know, we were there at the beginning. <laughs> right. And now it's yes. a monster and we didn't even yeah. have a prenup. But no bitterness, seriously. Uh, but you did, look, you, you you accomplished a lot in the short time that you were there. It was was my point, my uh, what I was trying to make. And then you end up back um, at NBC, right? Yes. In late night. Actually, and you know what? It's... It, uh... Brandon. He was at Paramount at the time, and uh, he was fantastic in that um, he called up one day out of the blue soon after I've gotten fired, and he says, Vinny, the same thing, nice things you're saying now. You know, he just, he read it in the trades, and he goes, listen, don't worry. It happens to all of us, number one. He says, number two, everybody knows what you're able to do with that channel with no money, right? Um, and so he puts me back in touch with the NBC guys. Um, Ludwin, Mike, Rick Ludwin, Michael Zinberg is there by then, Gary Considine, all the late night guys. They bring me in then on a producing deal first to work on, uh, Greg Kinnear had just taken over the late, late, late right. from talk. He from was Bob on talk Costas. soup. He was on talk soup. Exactly. He was talk soup. Um, and then eventually Conan 
who uh, was only six months in on his gig in the late light slot. Wow. So you were there in the early years of Conan, which he did the yeah. way he tells it. He was renewed four episodes at a time for a late night show. Like, you know, we get to it's, do four more yeah, shows. Yeah, it was no joke. No joke. We were getting renewed in 13 week cycles. And at one point they were dangling a six week renewal oh my God. in front of us. So you worked with Norm Michaels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was our exact producer. That's another right. TV legend that you yeah, were. Yeah, I remember in, in the thick of it, you know, speaking of when they were sort of torturing Conan over, you know, what other choices, who might they replace him with, whatever, uh, little knowing that down the road there would be the whole later Tonight Show debacle. Um, Lauren takes Conan, Jeff Ross, Jeff's longtime exec producer, and me out to dinner, kind of cheer us up. And you guys, I'm sure, have heard the stories through the years about just Lauren-isms where you don't know if, like, some of what he says is genius or, um, I don't know, like, being there kind of. Chauncey Gardner, right. but but at one point he says to us, um, guys, you know, you have to realize the thing about television is the longer you're on, the longer you're on. <laughs> that's actually, I think that's deep for a guy who's done forty something years. It is, it is genius, right? <clears throat> I, and I remember years later bumping into Conan, and it's right after there was a news story. He was still at late night at this point, but he had become then the longest serving person in late night, right? And part of Lauren's genius is he's exactly right, that there, despite all the early terrible reviews, Tom Shales, then one of the biggest TV critics for The Washington Post, basically writing, how dare this guy even be on television? Well, two years later, Tom Shales, to his credit, writes a reconsideration, says, you know, I'm watching again, this guy's pretty good. But Lauren's right, that, that a lot of television, even with all the changing habits, is still, um, how do people ingratiate themselves with audiences? Or how do shows get to hang out just enough that they figure out what they're about and connect with an audience? You know, or how does the business change, right? Breaking Bad is doing okay on AMC, but it's not really until it's on Netflix that it becomes the phenomenon that it is. And then that feeds back to new seasons on AMC, right? Yeah, that's a, so, great, that's a great point. You know? And the, and the genre that you were in, the late night stuff, that's every day. You got to be great every day, not just 22 exactly. episodes. Right, right. And, and Vin, as you well know, now it's not just great every day, but great kind of in every moment or every segment or great on every platform, because, of course, you can't count on people uh, watching it, consuming it the way, when, on whatever device, on whatever platform you think you made it for, right? You think you're still making a 60-minute show. A lot of viewers think they're just those guys who put out a couple of segments every day, only one of which I regularly watch because that's my thing, you know? Right, right. A little aside here as we delve deeper because we're getting getting to the CBS years, but one thing I wanted to mention, I teased it at the intro, is uh, Mitch's uncanny resemblance, or actually Jerry Seinfeld's uncanny resemblance to Mitch Semmel. <laughs> Thank and you. And <laughs> I remember there was a, when, when Mitch, when I first met you, and it was truly love at first sight on, on my site, love at first sound, just hearing your voice and your personality, I was like, oh my God, this guy's going to be a big part of my life, uh, personally and professionally. But I was stunned at- by, by the way, Vin, I had, forgive me, I had to interrupt it. Do you remember the first thing you said to me when we met? Uh, no. Well, tell me. I forget. You, was, you said, was it I litigious? Was Will I be sued? No, not at all. Okay, not at good. all. It was not actionable, as the lawyers would oh, say. Oh, good, good. But it was memorable. Um, I was, of course, meeting a lot of people on my first day, and you said to me, um, hi, I'm Vinny. You're going to be hearing a lot about me. Oh, my God. That's 
arrogant. Why <laughs> you? <laughs> no, but it was great. It was because I realized later, of course, it told me you knew and were very comfortable with your place in the Comedy Central firm. Yeah. You, <laughs> oh, you knew the many roles of import that you played. That's very right? kind. Thank you. First, I'm going to say, I got to interject. First lines from Vinny are very memorable because when I first met him, I remember what he said. He said, all my life, I wanted to work on a channel like this. And now I'm here. Thanks. There you go. Yeah. That's, and that, there was you before, go. that was before we even yeah. launched. So exactly. Um, exactly. Anyway. Hey, Ben, I, I had a weird thought the other day. Does your old job still exist? I don't mean um, in comedy, but like, does a job traffic the way you did it then? Does that job still exist? You, you know, know, traffic is a big thing. Yeah. What Mitch is referring to, my beginnings in, 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 television were on the business side of things you know op traffic operations which is basically all the non-entertaining part i was in charge of everything that didn't make you laugh on the network except except you were also in charge of literally without you and your department the channel was not on the air Right. Well, right. Yeah, that, there, there, there was. I think a lot of people yeah, don't appreciate. We had the instructions. We had the blueprint. But but what happened was then I when Mitch came there and you because I had the idea and Art writes about it in the book and it was really developed by the whole team. But the initial idea to do the State of the Union, which was hey let's just make fun of the president in real time, and it truly put the network on the map. And and thanks to Mitch, got me out of sales operations into programming and and under mitch i was doing development and scheduling and and program yeah. planning but you know and and you, i mean it was kind of obvious to see what the you know the, the role you played is a lot of the creative beating heart of the channel so it wasn't crazy when i went to bob and larry disney you know your boss to say hey come on like i can have Vinny, right and again to their Amazing. credit they go well yeah <laughs> you've got him more than half time anyway right you were my brand what am i your budget right hey, wait but, a second i gotta take some credit here because Vinny's interim step was the buzz committee that's right we pulled we art. pulled Vinny into the buzz committee when it first started because we that, wanted people who were that's just before mitch got there right all over the network right Right. Am I right? Am I right, Art? While we're sharing credit, was the naming of Buzz Committee was that a Ken Olshansky term? Who who uh, did that? Term I think it was. was well, Bob Creek had the mandate for the meeting. Yeah, that's it. it came out of the mandate right. for the meeting, which is you guys got to get some buzz. We got to. Yeah. And I said, okay, yeah. Buzz Committee. I, I didn't. I, I don't know who said right. okay, Buzz Committee, but right. we, we decided right. we were the Buzz Committee. And then anyway, the first meeting. Committee. Get yeah. back to what we oh the Seinfeld the Seinfeld thing. Get back to the Seinfeld mm. thing. Oh yeah, so so what? So I remember, uh, you know, there was a buzz in the office. It's like holy shit, this guy looks just like Jerry Seinfeld. And remember those side by side poses, Mitch. We had a, a photo of you. Yeah, the Tony did. And, and yes. Seinfeld in the very same pose. But uh, yes. so how was that within the, the day to day of your job at the time having that? that well, it was it was weird. I'm trying to think of who the comparable person would be today, but it was obviously weird for us to be at a comedy network trying to get attention for ourselves, where the guy I happen to look like is the biggest comedy star in the world of the moment because <laughs> it was the height of the Seinfeld show. So we used it, as you say, with those photos where we could. It was mostly not a factor. It was odd when we would go to things like I don't know if you guys remember one time at a Cable Ace Awards. Um, I'm just making my, my way through the lobby and three teenage girls surround me and a fourth is taking my picture of with her friends, right? And I don't either have the heart or the speed to be able to say, I'm not who you think I am, right? So I let them take the picture and only later did I feel bad about, can you imagine what that was like when they were showing it to their friends? <laughs> That's not Seinfeld. That's exactly. Miss Right. 
Well, you were in right? that position a lot, right? Where people, even famous people came up, people in the business. Yeah, came. yeah, exactly. I, my wife happened to be friendly with Paul Reiser and his wife, and Paul was already plenty famous. He had mad about you at the time, right? But we'd be out together, and people would be very excited to see him, and then look over and get even more excited to see me. <laughs> oh, and um, Paula, his wife, was a wonderful sense of humor, was, was very tickled by that. That's hysterical. Well, if you got to yeah. look like someone Jer looking like Jerry Seinfeld, exactly. Career, the Not so Jerry bad. Seinfeld's career Not so bad. Would yep. be okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We have a lot of career to get through here. A lot of great stories. Thanks. We're with Mitch Seville on the Constant Comedy Podcast with Art Bell and me, Vinny Favalli. So, Mitch, you leave NBC. Well, you leave NBC, I think, in a good way in that you get the call from Leslie Moonves, who had just come over to CBS yeah. and I'm sure you crossed paths with Leslie's career over the years, right? Yes. Yes, exactly. Knew him from my NBC days. He had run a company for a, a producer named Saul Ilson and then went on to build Lorimar, Lorimar Telepictures, Warner Brothers, the biggest TV supplier because of Leslie. I mean, among other things, they sold uh, ER and Friends, a couple of shows you may have heard of. Uh, mm -hmm. He gets, you know, brought into to bring back CBS after, you know, a lot of time when it had been out of favor as a network. Um, and yeah, among other things, Leslie and I used to play softball against each other. We were in a couple of, uh, oh, really? softball leagues. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So you were the yeah. perfect, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because he comes to CBS. I'm still at Comedy Central with art at this point. We're not demoted, but we're at the time when you're running the website in 1996, that's not a yeah. good career move because it, it really did exist. But art and I are now remember, it's fantastic. We yeah, wrote a book so together, much. Art, websitings, yeah. websites, websites we'd like to see. We took full advantage of that of that uh, new gig right. that they gave us before <laughs> they threw us out. <laughs> so we're still there, but it, it really is, it's, it's incredible because CBS at the time, to paint the picture, was all about murder, she wrote, diagnosis murder. It was yep. uh, very dusty, very old, because I believe uh, Tish had owned the network. And hey Ben, you're just reminding me, why did we never do a... Uh a mashup show, Diagnosis, Murder, She Wrote. Oh, my God. How did we miss that, could have been a crossover. that opportunity? That was our Buffy and Angel. We could have done a there crossover episode. There you go. Uh, so the cool thing that 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 pre-Leslie, that CBS had at the time, was David Letterman, right? That was the big get for them. Right. But Leslie knows, like, his fortunes do not ride on, on, on Letterman or Late Night. They're prime time, and he makes a big deal. I don't know if that predated you by months of signing Cosby's big return to television the, on yeah, CBS. The deal, the deal did, but then, as a business um, you know, downflow from that, it's like, okay, but now I need a guy to, to like, actually oversee the show. In and New so York. The and, and it was the combination really of same thing with Letterman we had been talking about before with Uber, uh, with Ubu Productions. Um, you know, not a, not a lot of, Dave was not looking for, as you well know, Vin, a lot of network interaction or guidance. Right. But Leslie did need someone from a business standpoint to oversee, a business and creative standpoint to oversee both of these huge franchise shows, Letterman and Cosby. And um, luckily for me, he thought, you know, he'd found his guy in me. So you built that department and did, had you worked with Cosby before at, at NBC or because he was New York, you guys didn't really. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, tangentially, because I was in that department, but it was others. It was my colleagues, Garth Ansir, and I think Deborah Curtin at one point who used to go back to New York periodically. I had at one point, because I just remember the show for one season taped like way, way, way out in Brooklyn. I remember going yeah, out yeah. there for that, but 
But otherwise, no, not until the, um, the CBS show. So you're now launching like a franchise show for CBS. Yeah. And you're yeah. working with Bill. And I know, I know from eventually then you bringing me on to work with you on Letterman to help you out there. You had some pretty crazy stories. You worked with Norman Steinberg, I think, the the, the writer Correct. of Blazing Saddles <clears throat> and my favorite year, a co-writer of those Correct. movies. Still, still um, a friend. Was the showrunner. Certainly you guys, you guys need to have him on this show. Yeah, he's, he's terrific. We will. It'll be great. You and Norman, Norman was lucky, I think, you to have you to run interference, right, with, yeah. with Bill yeah. and the network. But tell us what that was like. You know, it was fascinating. And, and the all the writers who worked for Bill through the years would have their own stories. But what I observed was um, it was those who expected a typical show experience who were frustrated, made crazy, disappointed, whatever. It was those who opened themselves up to Bill has an unconventional creative process, to say the least. He's very nonlinear, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise you if you've been listening to his albums or watching his stand-up act for years, right? What, as you guys know, if you've ever seen him live do the full concert, it was amazing how he had this ability to drop little nuggets that made you think it was all in the moment. And then 90 minutes in, do the most amazing callback. And you realize, oh, he, he knew all along. He had it built this way, right? right. And the same thing with the show where uh, writers would come with what would have been great developed storylines for any other show. And Bill would just pick at one little nugget and go, no, 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 I think that's what this episode is. You know, can you write me 20 minutes of that? Or uh, he would just, at a taping, make 20 minutes out of what was supposed to be a 30 minute sequence, you know, leaving it to the editors to figure out how to refashion it for TV. But out of it, um, you got some very good stuff. And then the key, of course, was um, uh, Felicia Rashad coming back to rejoin him. Right. right? Because it's that. not that just that she, it's not, well, it's not, it's not just that she's an amazing actor unto herself. It's that she was an amazing dance partner for Bill. And, and you, you look at those kind of comedy duos through the years, um, and sometimes it is one person who can just follow the other and not get lost and then come in periodically with something that supplements, amplifies, leads in another direction, challenges, whatever it might be. She could stay in character so that he could go off and be Cosby, and then she would still have in her head what the motivation of the scene is or what the writers wanted or whatever. Right. I mean, it was amazing to watch. Oh, oh, and, and Madeline Kahn. Right. Oh my God, that's right. She, she was a co-star on that. Exactly. And she was, a, was lovely and amazing to watch as well. And you guys did that out of Queens, right? A Queens out of, Yeah, out of Kaufman Astoria in Queens. Okay, yeah. so so while you were there and dealing with 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 launching that and building the network, I get a phone call from you. And I don't know if you remember this, but but it was essentially because you knew I was unhappy at Comedy Central, and yeah. it was just you know days away from from being asked to leave or hopefully leaving on my own. You said, "Listen, there's there, Letterman's looking for a late night guy. I think you'd be perfect, but." I'm going to try to talk you out of it. <laughs> Something like that. Yes. I was like, you yes. may get it, but it would be the worst job you'll yeah. ever have. No, no, I think, I think I said, I'm going to tell you about what you're going to think is the greatest job in the world. And then I'm going to try to talk you out of taking right. it. Right. That was it. And you were there yeah. on my interview, which was crazy. Yeah. yeah. That was, do you remember that night at all? I do. I do. I do. I remember a couple of nights of that nature that night. And then also I remember 
when you and I brought Mel Karmazin, the then new CEO of uh, CBS, to meet Dave. Right. That remember was that one? awkward. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. D- Dave's a, a really interesting guy. Obviously, a television legend. Uh, socially, it was it was awkward. Always awkward. On my interview with the executive producer, and I was told uh, that there were going to be many people interviewing for this. There was no hurry. It, it may take months. They may not eventually fill it. During my interview, and Mitch was there the whole time with uh, Rob Burnett, great guy who was Letterman's executive producer, head writer. Uh, we're meeting. The meeting's going okay, right, Mitch? We think it's going well. Yeah. And then Rob yeah. excuses himself, comes back like 20 minutes later. He goes, I want you to meet Dave. And Mitch and I go in to meet with Dave. <laughs> the lights are low. The music is loud. It's as if Paul Schaefer's playing <laughs> right in the office. Uh, and we had this very stilted fascinating conversation and when when i leave mitch and i were not quite sure if i got the job or not like we didn't know what had happened similar thing happened with mel karmazin we had to bring mel karmazin our new head of cbs to meet with dave we go into dave's office again the music right mitch really loud lights very low and we're screaming over it just to have a conversation and also, Dave never invites us to sit. Do you remember that? Right, part? right. Dave At one point, Bell is, is kneeling yeah. on a couch. He's got yes, one knee. Correct. Very, correct, very correct. awkward. By the way, Vin, can I share one great thing, though? It wasn't a Dave story, but it was at Dave's show. Um, Which do one? You remember the compl- do you remember the compliment that Mel Brooks paid us? Oh, my God. That's right. This was such art. So You're going to love ever, this I story. Know, I don't know if we ever told you this, but uh, it's during one of Dave's times off. I don't remember if it's for the shingles or post. This was, I think it was heart. This was heart. Okay. We could date it in a minute when I tell you what's going on, which is uh, it's already been announced that Mel Brooks is going to do the producers for Broadway. And everybody knows he's courting Nathan Lane, but Nathan is not signed yet. So Mel agrees to be um, a guest because Nathan is co-hosting. And backstage, Mel, uh, meeting Vinny and me, and all I had to do was drop that we were friends with Norman Steinberg, who was one of Mel's protégés. As Vinny was mentioning earlier, <clears throat> Norman was one of the people who wrote. Norman and uh, Richard Pryor and Andy Bergman and Alan Uger wrote Blazing Saddles together. And Norman's a writer and successful because of, of Mel. They're still close. Uh, and so the minute he, he learns that we're friends with Norman, we're in and we're hanging out with Mel Brooks. That alone is great, right? What a but rush. Mel, start, Mel starts to try out on us the bit that he's going to do with, uh, with Nathan, which is he's going to pull out a fake contract. And, and by the way, first, he's going to do the callback, pardon me while I whip this out, right? <laughs> that alone to be present for was amazing. But then he says, I got to have a pen so I can do this. And he asks the PA to go round up a bunch of pens. <laughs> He's auditioning pens. <laughs> and no joke. He's auditioning pens, right? So the PA rummages around, comes back, hands Mel a handful of pens, and he fans them out like a deck of cards. And he says to Vinny and me, which one's the funniest pen? And Vinny and I both point to this one pen that has a little bit more of a flourish. <laughs> it's bigger and it's got some designs on it or something. And we both go, well, that's the funny one. And Mel just takes a beat, looks at the pen, looks at us and goes, you're right. That's the funniest pen. And he takes that pen. And that's that the was, that was amazing. Man, you guys wrote a bit with Mel Brooks. That's yeah, we did. We improv it in real time. <laughs> you, you did. Hey, I just got to throw in, while you guys were having so much fun getting Vinny the job over at CBS, 
I was losing my best friend at the network. And basically my only friend at the network. Yeah. Yeah. Vinny Favali. Because they fired everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And Vinny and and I were holding down what was left of that particular fort. And Vinny walks in and says, Art, Mitch is like, he's going to get me a job at CBS. And I almost wanted to just go find you, Mitch, and say, please. (laughs) Of course, it's the right thing to do. If you remember also, because we were all keeping tabs, that core group of all of us who one by one had gotten picked off, uh, you know, when you guys were the last men standing, we were wondering, was it the ultimate compliment or torture that they were still keeping you guys there at that point? Well, that, that was that was a big question for both of us, although Vinny was smart enough to say, now, nah, they're going to get rid of us any minute. And I probably agreed. But Vinny, yeah. Vinny said, I'm leaving before they fire. Yeah, I, well, also, I had you, the you, sense. You guys, yeah, we you survived. Guys yeah. Well, also, you made the best of it because you were making up things like oh, the yeah, website, we did great stuff. which nobody was asking you to do. That was but, that was know. our part. That was my parting. You know, when they when they got rid of me, they they said, hey, man, you really did great stuff down there. But, but you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we yeah, were, you yeah. know, it was it was tough because we we lost our departments like people that worked for us now were still there. But it was awkward to interact with them because they knew that we weren't we had lesser lesser jobs. And Art and I were on a lower level floor. Remember Art? Like I a little it the basement. Yeah. yeah we were pretty, the basement. Much, pretty much yeah. the basement, toiling on this new thing called the in- internet. And then while well, they were trying to develop, remember the intranet, the, the within yeah. the company yes. internet version. But Mitch, yeah, Mitch saved me and ultimately Art went on to do core TV. So so no violence for us, my friends. We end up doing well. So Let's talk about The Onion. Okay, so The Onion and Huffington Post, they were both web, completely different places, but web-based content that you, you, you were the general manager of The Onion and your mandate was to do what when well, you were there? Well, it's, it's funny, then that you think of it as digital content, which it certainly is and has been for a long time, but that's, that actually gets to the crux of what they asked me to do because The Onion had started in the late 80s as a campus newspaper in Wisconsin, right? The University of Wisconsin in Madison. Um, And it went through a lot of iterations. It was always a comedy uh, paper, but the point of origin of the parody varied. So initially it was kind of weekly world news. It was very making fun of tabloids, you know, alien stories in tabloids, right? Um, It evolved into at various points being more of a USA Today, a New York Times, whatever. But to their credit, the guys who were there before me just as you guys were with websitings, they were early on with not only books, but doing uh, some digital audio, some syndicated radio. They were getting into other media before other people did. They had a website. Um, and luckily, in the, about, 20, about the 30 markets in which we were actually physically printing papers, it was a, as the company grew and it became a national thing. And the books were crucial also. The early books uh, helped develop the, the national audience. Um, but uh, so they had started a website. It, again, remember back to late 90s, the first digital boom where everybody was trying to, but nobody knew what this crazy internet thing right. was, right? And at the time, the conventional wisdom was, if you're a newspaper, there's no way you do a website. You don't give away for free online to an international audience the very thing you're trying to sell locally, right? But The Onion being different both business-wise and being comedy rather than the news saw it differently. Um, and so we saw where things were going. The print business was tailing off, and we needed to grow the digital business. 
and whatever the new digital was going to become and find new models. So we started getting into sponsorship. Obviously, as you guys well know, the notion of ad sales online was growing. Mobile devices were growing. The biggest thing I remember was, and, and a lot of comedy places went through this, was initially the writers who were among the best, most talented, smartest comedy writers I've ever worked with were understandably confused and even repelled by this new digital stuff because they had developed over the years a really nice format of how to look and feel and sound and read like a newspaper, yet be this very inverted comedic stuff, right? Um, and so initially when we would say things like, hey, there's this new thing, Twitter, you really got to start playing with it, right? Um, there was the resistance of like, why am I just going to tweet out, you know, promotional things about my stories, right? But then it started to dawn on the writers, wait a minute, the construct of a tweet is pretty much exactly like these fake headlines we've been writing. So then they embraced it as an original uh, comedy format unto itself. And that sort of started playing through with all the other stuff, you know, um, when we tried doing early online web video fake news you know we were still stuck in the old ways of how do you parody local news rather than finding what was the new vernacular of actual digital news right and by the way funny enough uh, not too many months into it when ariana called me to do what became HuffPost live it was a somewhat similar challenge initially we were trying a little bit to be too much cable tv news on digital and it was then that we figured, wait a minute, you know, digital kind of has a different vernacular and it's 10 years or whatever now, but it's exactly what we're doing now. It's, it's this rather than, oh, we must all be in studios. Yeah, I remember you show, you, you when, when you were at HuffPost, you gave me a tour and it was it was incredible. And yeah, pre pre COVID, this was like maybe three years ago, four years ago. More this. I was showing it to you, I think, in 2012. When yeah, we were you had this small yeah. studio, but people yep. were. Everybody was broadcasting from their homes. Yes, exactly. All and, and we were able to do even breaking news. I mean, during Arab Spring, we had people who had been at riots in their cities and then went home and with early Wi-Fi still were able to hold up their phones and do a segment. And again, it sounds crazy now, especially after a year or more of COVID, but then it used to be, well, no, if you don't have a studio, it's supposed to be you can't be on television or right. if you don't have a satellite backhaul or whatever. So the idea that we were doing all this stuff that we take for granted um, then was really crazy. That's incredible. Uh, Mitch, we're definitely going to have to do a third hour with you somewhere down the line. And maybe <laughs> what, Art, what we should do is we should blow up some of the, you know, do a deeper dive into some of these areas because Mitch's career is incredible. Now you run Semmel Media, right? You're consulting mm -hmm. with, with uh, a, a wide variety of people. A lot, yeah, a lot of big clients. And funny enough, many of them are corporate. And in recent years, we used to be doing like live coverage of big corporate or trade events. And uh, we had we have been trying to move our clients into doing more remote stuff anyway. And then, of course, this last year happened. So that's a lot of what we do now. That, well, that that's incredible. Well, th th and and I, one thing I have to mention, you went from developing TV pilots to being an actual pilot yourself. You're a licensed that's pilot true. and you yes. and you actually teach people how to fly. Right. You're a flight instructor Correct. as well. Correct. Correct. I started, it started as a hobby and I found I loved it. I didn't even know there was really a job at doing this stuff, but uh, yeah, that's the other half of my work life now is, is being a flight instructor. I think, I think Vinny, that's a great, uh, that's a great tagline for Mitch from pilots to pilot. 
So when you say mixed Ooh. signal, you say from pilots. Sure, or, or uh, pilots to pilots. That's right? also but... the title of a great porn movie, so we might <laughs> not. <laughs> Mitch, again, thank you so much uh, for being part of this. We love you, and we will definitely have you yeah, back. This has been great, Mitch. Thanks for, thanks for appearing here. Talking to you guys this time, we happen to get to record it, so all the better. All right, see you guys. And that is the conclusion of our Mitch Semmel mini series. I have, I think we should spin off a podcast. He should be like our Maud. If we're all in the family, he should be Maud or the Jeffersons. Do podcasts have spinoffs? I mean, are we going to be the first? I, I don't know. I'm sure they do. It's got, there's so I many podcasts. Out there. I, yeah. A lot, a lot of times people do podcasts at the same time. Without, you, you know, when you spin off, you really should leave the show and do your own thing. But I, I've heard a lot of podcasts where there are three people on the podcast, but one guy has his own podcast that's adjacent to it. So it's very confusing. I saw a great cartoon joke one time where uh, a person, two people talk and, and the guy's going, you know, I, I'm thinking of ending my podcast. Because <laughs> the funny. eye rolls we got when we said, "Hey, we're thinking of starting a podcast." We're like, "Yeah, get in line." Everyone else's. Well, all right. So this is our podcast, and uh, it was great talking to Mitch for all that time. And I think, I think anybody listening to both of these podcasts, and I encourage you if you if you hadn't if you haven't heard both of them, go back and and hear both of them because, as I said, it's it's a lesson. It's really a lesson in television history because Mitch was everywhere. And it was, you know, I'm glad we got him on the podcast and it was really a pleasure working with him. And the people he's worked with, the legends, uh, Grant Tinker, Brandon Tartikoff, all the, all the showrunners. Uh, we were, you know, lucky, lucky to have worked with him as well. We're not legends, but we did. We're on his resume. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to become a legend. That's part of the reason I'm doing this podcast. It's, it's yes. adding to my legend uh, status <laughs> by having a podcast with you. Amazing. Yeah. We have our own podcast. <laughs> hey, will we, when we get to 100 episodes, do we get to go in syndication? Will we make like a lot of money? I don't think you can syndicate a podcast, but <laughs> it doesn't work that way, huh? No, because we have a hundred. Remember it with TV shows? If you have a hundred, yeah, you could run it every night. You're made, yeah, yeah. All right. Wow, I think we uh, have deluded ourselves. Uh, we're probably half drunk right now. But anyway, this was a wonderful interview with Mitch. We love you, Mitch. Art, I love working with yeah, you, likewise. and I can't wait for the yeah. for the next yeah. one. All right, Vinny. See, see you next week.